Thinnerlogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Arno, and welcome to the Nerdalogs Present Your Stories Podcast. This is a very special episode, as it was the first one recorded in our new home venue, the Public House Theater at 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. We're really excited to make this our base of operation for the foreseeable future, and we'd like to thank theater proprietor Byron Hatfield and his team for setting up such a welcoming, sweet place for us to work. Uh, to commemorate the move, the theme this month is New Beginnings. Appropriate, right? We've got a bunch of storytellers talking about what those words mean to them, including DePaul DJ Shelby Mongan, writer and improviser Jeremy Connie, editor Sarah Schieber, librarian Chris Crotwell, and actress-slash-teacher Lauren Rodriguez. Uh, there's also music from myself, Dwight Hessler, and Nerdalogs member Steve Persh. So guys, it's an exciting time for the Nerdalogs right now. Uh, a few weeks ago, we just did a crazy su- successful show with some of the creators of the mega-popular card game Cards Against Humanity, and we had so much fun that we're going to do it again! So Friday, February 15th, midnight at IO Chicago, for just $5, you can see an improvised comedy show based around Cards Against Humanity, featuring the guys who came up with it. How cool is that? Uh, last time the show sold out pretty quickly, so if you want to go, I'd get in touch with IO to reserve your tickets now. Uh, the next Your Stories recording will take place the following Sunday, February 17th. I'm really excited about this one. The theme this month is Fan Fiction February. Now, whether you want to read fan fiction you wrote of any kind, or just talk about what that word means to you, uh, come on down and share, please. Remember, we're in our new home at the pub, but the show will remain free, and there is lots more space now. So no worries about crowding. Uh, please remember, if you do want to share, though, Please keep your stories around five minutes or so, even if you have fan fiction. Uh, Before we get to the show, I just want to express my appreciation for everyone who's been contributing and listening to this podcast. Uh, December 2012 was our biggest month yet by far, and January 2013 was pretty good looking as well. So let's keep that ball rolling, guys. Now, if you want to make a small monetary donation to your stories to help reward all the hard work we do, well, we will not stop you. Uh, You can find donation information on the side of our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com, and every little bit is appreciated. But what we value most is your time, so thank you so much for giving that to us. Now let's talk about new beginnings. The theme tonight is New Beginnings, and rather than play a bunch of songs that are about New Beginnings, because that's too obvious, here's what Dwight and I did. We are playing some of our favorite tracks and some of your favorite tracks, from uh, first tracks from records. So, these songs all started albums. Look, that's the sound I made when he presented this, that idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reason we're playing this one and the reason why I have this uh, is because from the period of high school through, realistically now, Every time I get anything that plays music, a new car, a new stereo, a new TV that can stream music, whatever, I always, always, always break out an album by Van Halen and play the first track to test it. So, Kevin, can you please cue the first track? Remember, you get a four count. 
Oh, we have a third member tonight, by the way. Uh, yeah. Indulging us on that, guys. Uh, uh, Neurolog member Steve Kirsch has some comedy for us. Hey, everybody. 
Uh, I'm really excited to be in this new space. Uh, so the theme is New Beginnings, and I'm, I'm playing a song uh, somewhat inspired by that. For a lot of the songs that I've performed at Your Stories uh, over the past year, I've had an idea in the back of my head for a song, and then something about the Your Story prompt gives me uh, a way to finish it. Uh, so this is another, another one of those songs, and uh, I hope you like it and find it funny. <laughs> There are people in your life That special kind of person From the very first moment A bright and shining spark But she has a boyfriend Then you have a girlfriend The years go by and one thing doesn't change It's never gonna happen Stop lying to yourself, it's never gonna happen Put that dream back on the shelf, it's never gonna happen And I'll sing the song again It's not a new beginning It's the same old end, it's never gonna happen The ball's about to drop Everybody's counting down A brand new year full of possibilities This year will be different My resolution list says so Step by step to self-improving change It's never gonna happen Put the yoga mat away It's never gonna happen Too cold to run today It's never gonna happen I'll sing this song again It's not a new beginning It's the same old end It's never gonna happen I've got a great idea Never been done before I could really use your help You'll get in on the ground floor It's a Twitter, eBay mashup Huge potential to disrupt Just need a few more kickstarts Our valuation is up But that's never gonna happen This conversation is moot It's never gonna happen Cause you can't execute, it's never gonna happen And I'll sing this song again It's not a new beginning It's the same old end Now I don't mean to be harsh You can always prove me wrong Get your act together Come back twice as strong You just need some motivation Read some inspirational quotes there always will be haters Shove success right down their throats But that's never gonna happen You've been on Facebook for an hour It's never gonna happen When did you last take a shower? It's never gonna happen And I'll sing the song again It's not a new beginning It's the same old end It's the same old end And it's never gonna happen And, and I just want to say, uh, I want to thank Byron and ev everyone who's made this new space possible for <laughs> not taking the attitude in this song. <laughs> thank you, Steve.
that got real, man. Like during that first verse, people were like, holy shit, you threw a mirror up to my soul. When I say people, I mean me. Uh, our first crowdsource story of the night comes from Ms. Shelby Mongan. Uh, this room is bigger. Um, so my story, per many of my stories, um, is not so much funny as it is heartfelt. Um, so we get a break from Steve's hilarity. So do you guys remember Devil Sticks? Um, it was this toy when I was a kid, and they've been around for a little while. It's two sticks you hold in your hand, and then there's another longer stick, and you like flip it around. I'm sure people that smoked a lot of weed did it. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> But they were really popular when I was a kid. And I had a set, and um, I was horrible, but I loved them. And one day, my grandfather dropped one of the sticks that you hold underneath our porch. And it's really hard to use devil sticks when you only have one. Um, and I remember being slightly devastated. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that missing devil stick lately, um, because I've been thinking a lot about the house that it's stuck underneath. I grew up at 1644 Shadyside Drive in Edgewater, Maryland, just minutes away from the Naval Academy in Annapolis, um, with my mom and my dad in a house that was probably meant to be a, a beach house, not a full-time house. Um, it was pretty small, but uh, I loved that house. Um, I lived across the street from my best friend. Uh, that was the house that I learned how to ride my bike out front of. I graduated from high school when I lived in that house. Uh, I had birthday parties in the backyard. That was my house. Um, it was my home base. No matter what, no matter what happened, even when my parents got separated when I was six and divorced when I was 10, that house stayed in our family. They kept it for me so that I had a home base. And so that was my house until my sophomore year of college. And I was working at a summer camp in Arizona. I was up on a mountain and it was the happiest I had been in a long time. And I got a call from my dad. Um, and he said that the house had been foreclosed on and that it wasn't our house anymore. And for those of you that heard the sports story I told about my dad, he and I are very close. He's one of my best friends. But I can't be unrealistic and pretend that my dad isn't kind of a giant man-child. Um, and <laughs> while a lovely human being is not very responsible with money, nor is he very responsible with responsibilities. <laughs> and because of that, um, the house had already been physically in shambles, and then we financially kind of saw it crumble and lost the house. Um, and I was sad at first, but I kinda, it, it didn't really affect me too much. And I got home from camp that summer, and I helped pack up the last of my stuff and moved out of that house. And I left to go back to Chicago, back to school. Um, and I didn't really think about it. And it didn't really affect me or bother me. Um, but I always kind of thought about it. And I wanted to go back and see the house, but I kept putting it off and putting it off until this year when I went home for Christmas. Um, and under the guise of an errand, I drove out to Edgewater. I lived about 20 minutes away to go see this old house. Um, and the way that it works um, to get into my neighborhood is you, you pass my old middle school, and you take a bend and another bend, and then you go over a bridge over the river. And the minute that I hit that bridge, I started to sob. And I didn't know why. And for those of you who are also criers, um, you know that feeling of like, okay, I'm crying. I'm not sure where this is coming from. And you're wiping it so you can see and not crash in other cars. And trying to figure out the origin of the tears. Um, and I, I I'm not quite sure why, if they were happy, if it was reminiscent, and if it was sad. I think part of it was... Um, the shock of somewhere that used to be so familiar to me uh, feeling so foreign and so different. But I finally pulled up to my house, 
still sobbing like an idiot, um, and parked my car. And ignoring the no trespassing sign that was underneath the foreclosed sign, I opened the gate and I walked down the sidewalk that I once danced on in my bathing suit when it was raining because I thought it would be fun. Um, and I stepped over the caution tape onto that porch. Um, and it was still my old house, but it looked awful. My house looked horrible. The inside was stripped and there was a giant hole in the front wall of the house and it was so depressing to see it. But it was still my house. There was still the holly tree in the side yard and that um, used to stab me in the feet when I ran around in my yard. And um, I went around the back and there was a big puddle of water where the, in -ground, or the above ground pool used to be, which was a sad thing for a child to have in general. Um, and I was at this house and I was crying and I was laughing and I was thinking about all the different things that had happened while I was there. And it was so sad to have lost that place. But above the no trespassing sign, above the foreclosure sign, was a sign describing the house that was going to be built there. Um, and it was going to have two stories, and I think four or five bedrooms, and a garage, and a basement. It was going to be this fantastic house um, in a neighborhood that was actually getting better from when I was a kid. And I was so excited for this family that was gonna get to come and live in this house. Someone was gonna get to have this kick-ass house in this cool neighborhood and live on this place that I loved. Um, and so if I felt a lot of closure there. Um, I felt like the house was getting a new beginning. Someone take a drink. <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> um, but just like when I graduated from my high school and I moved out here to Chicago for a brand new beginning, the house was getting that same kind of beginning. But, luckily, somewhere buried underneath the foundations of that house, where a porch used to be, is a single devil stick. <laughs> a little piece of me still buried underneath that house. Still a piece of me there. And there's a piece of that house in me still. And so, yes, it's sad. And yes, I've said goodbye. But the new beginning taught me that you can move on without completely letting go. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shelby. As a reminder, your story is houseful. When you say the theme of the night, you must point or otherwise acknowledge it. <laughs> super awesome. Yeah. I should have pointed like five times. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You need to grow a new arm for that. Jamie Connie, everybody. I think we would have exploded our old, old venue if we hadn't made this move this month, so good timing. <laughs> a new beginning, I'm, I'd say. Oh. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hey, Jeremy. How are you guys doing tonight? Well, how are you doing, Jeremy? Doing great, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, how's that beer? Oh, it's fantastic. Alex gave me a beer. He's a very nice guy, despite what he's already said tonight. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about an, a tried and true story, story in all of our lives, going from high school to college, and about how change or a new beginning, <laughs> a new beginning, <laughs> happens with time, a lot of time, and if you're lucky, a lot of luck. So like, like a lot of nerds, I was really stupid and nervous 
in high school and junior high and everywhere before that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just really wanted to make a change. I remember saying in junior high, sitting down with my Robert Heinlein book, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. <laughs> just like I was reading it, I was loving it, I was like, set it down, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be different in high school. I'm going to be outgoing. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to have a lot of more fun. I'm not going to care about, worry about things so much. And I made that pact with myself as I turned off the offspring Americana. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to happen. And my whole high school career was like me, me keeping myself back from that change, blaming it not happening on people that I already knew having expectations of me. Of course I can't change. They expect me to be this nervous, nerdy dude that can't talk to girls or can't have fun or just wants to go and play a video game instead of coming out and having fun with friends. I blamed it on my other friends and their expectations because I couldn't just make the change myself and leap forward. And so I went four years without really changing, really changing myself and being outgoing like I wanted to be. And so college rolled around, and I said, God damn it, this is going to be it. I won't have my friends to hold me back. I'll be making this change on my own. And like any big change, it still takes time. I didn't change right away. It doesn't happen just in the drop of a hat. But I got lucky. Uh, I was standing in line for something called Fat Don's at U of I, which if you've never been to U of I and resided there, Fat Don's is this time when the head of food at the university comes and cooks steaks, ribs, chicken on the grill during the summer or during the fall and people line up in droves. They sit in line for an hour and a half just to get this good food. And I was sitting in line. Uh, usually we sit with our friends. This day I couldn't. I sat in line and, uh, by myself. And I decided to strike up a conversation with the person in front of me. Strike up a conversation with someone that I didn't know. Do something to be outgoing. I was lucky. He was a nice guy. We got to chatting. He said we both like comedy, we both like theater, and we saw a poster on the wall that said sketch comedy, potted meat food product, auditions, tomorrow. And he said, let's go do that. And, this, and I said yes in the spirit of, I want to go do things, I want to have fun. And I was lucky, it was a great time. But it wasn't what I expected. We went there uh, to the auditions and we found out as we were a little bit late and no one was there, and we found a poster on the wall, the auditions were the night before. And so I looked at my newfound friend that I met in line and said, well, I don't know, what do you want to do? And we, we circled the building and we came back to the foyer and we found another dude just sitting there and we, we said, hey, are you here for sketch comedy auditions? He says, no. <laughs> I'm here for improv auditions. I'm here for this group called Spicy Kamada. And, uh, 
And I said, okay, cool. Uh, why don't we do that instead? I had done like this much improv before. And I decided on a whim, just like talking to a stranger in line, to go and do it. And me and my friend that I just met, and this guy who we met in the foyer, uh, we tried out for, our, for improv for the first time that we've ever done. And me and my friend got called back, and me and my new my friend got in the group. And for those of you who know me, Spice Kamado was a big part of my college history, college time. It made everything. I learned that I loved comedy improv and performing in front of people. And it turns out the person that I met in line, just randomly striking up a conversation, turned out to be one of my best friends. Still is to this day. I helped him get married a year and a half ago and got to be his best man. And I got through, I got lucky. But that only came to that point for trying and keeping trying and sticking with the change that you wanted to see. And I encourage ever that everybody to do that because it's wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Um, so this seems like an opportune time to tell you, Jeremy, because I, uh, I went to U of I too and I was friends with Jeremy and, and those guys. My thing that I did, instead of being social, uh, because I had Jeremy's problem uh, much later in life, was every Monday I would go see Spicy Clamato perform. I would sit at the front table with just my roommates, and I would always get a lemonade and a scone and just sit there and watch two hours of improv. And that, that was my introduction to comedy. So it's probably because of you, who, by the way, don't tell Ben, podcast, I thought you were the funniest guy in that group. <laughs> It's because of you that I am doing this now, probably. So blame Jeremy, guys. Oh, new beginning. Uh, new beginning. <laughs> new beginning. Hey, I, I have a comment, too. Am I the only fucker in this room who actually drinks spicy Clamato? Oh. Yes. 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 Yeah, as soon as you said that, I'm like, ooh, spicy Clamato. <laughs> and then everyone was laughing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next, Sarah Schieber. All right, so about four and a half months ago, I sort of became aware of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, about four and a half months ago, I just about fell in love with Sherlock Holmes. Um, I'll admit right up front that I never paid much attention to him before. Um, denizen of popular culture, though he may be, he rarely registered in my mind as more than an odd and faceless man in a shapeless coat with the ability to make seemingly impossible deductions beneath a really pointless hat. <laughs> this is worthy of admiration to be sure, but undue reflection and affections could be better spent elsewhere in my opinion. And then something happened. Some writers saw fit to bestow yet another incarnation of Sherlock upon the world, one which the BBC then rendered replete <laughs> with a great big wool coat settled upon effortlessly broad shoulders to carve out a silhouette that could arrest far more than the nefarious characters that it pursues. <laughs> 
and a friend had kept suggesting that I give this new series a try, and I finally relented. Suddenly, this funny, taciturn, and aloof man, this detective seemed to have lit upon a direct line to my heart. As a former English major, I was appropriately ashamed at this turn of events. <laughs> I am all too aware of my previous inconsistencies in the allotment of my attention to the truth of this character, a man who has leapt from one medium to the next with ease time and time again, proving himself as one of the most far-reaching and influential personas of present times. I can't think of any other character or story that has thrived in as many retellings and adaptations as Sherlock Holmes. He has kept his own name through several movies, miniseries, TV shows, even comic books. I saw one where he was doing something with like robot monkey ninjas. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has also taken on other names, Gregory House and Adrian Monk, for example. But I have to wonder, why did this one get me? Really? I'm not quite sure, and I've thought about it for a while. Um, I had classes on Sherlock Holmes when I was in school, and it's just nothing ever quite hit me like this. And before I'm tempted to simply start gushing about how intricately well done this particular series is, I'd prefer to point my finger at a culprit that may or may not deserve total blame, Netflix. <laughs> Thanks to the wonders of streaming video, I had the world of Sherlock at my fingertips. No need to wait days or weeks for the next episode. Just click A on the Wii remote. <laughs> Bored on the train? <laughs> Sherlock obligingly makes an appearance on my phone within seconds. I had no ostensible external limitations to break up the amount of time I had Sherlock beaming directly into my brain. Beyond the basic demands of everyday living, I promise. Uh, <laughs> so when you think about it, the constantly burgeoning realm of technology allows us to indulge our thirst for the next storyline, the next plot twist, with minimal effort and next to no delay. An ever-present avalanche that has wrapped us tight in a technicolor hug of half-truths and outright fantasies that eagerly await our attention at every turn, you could say that technology has morphed into a new and virtually bottomless avenue through which we may express our emotional connections. As a result, the line between fiction and reality these days seems to be in constant danger of blurring beyond any definitive recognition. And it's easy enough to let ourselves think it might all just be a bit better if our choicest fictions were only real. But truly, to break through the pages that separate this world from the next and fully embrace a life that trades our sometimes fictions for a singular reality, that would be no small thing. I truly believe that it is from his inexorably fictional existence that Sherlock draws the particular brand of subtle magnetism and authority that has kept him standing tall through countless reimaginings. Following along as he races through the streets of London to fearlessly solve any conundrum, no matter how baffling, presents a unique opportunity to conquer our own fears and misgivings that refuse to manifest as more tangible foes in our everyday waltz between hearth and the world beyond the front stoop. The magic of that transformation, for me, is in the fiction. In the end, the thin veil that flutters between the currents of our daily reality and the woven fictions against which we lean whilst shifting our feet to view the world anew is what keeps our vision crystal clear from this world to the next. Even though the absolute concreteness of our reality may feel dull and dim compared to the bright lights of the fictions that lighten our days and the enticement of even brief moments of total mental and emotional escape, it is from the immediacy of our beige walls and boring Berber carpets 
that the wisps of magic that lace these tales are born. Our fictions are an extension of our inner truths, and were we to abandon the ground upon which they were built to live in a tower built of fickle musings and passing fancy, the walls would cr quickly crumble to leave us alone with the emptiness of a world constructed of lies and insubstantial feeling. Even Benedict Cumberbatch's eyes can't be like that. You're welcome. <laughs> the separation of this is what makes us whole, allows one side of the lens to pull the other into focus. And with each turn of the page, our fictions offer the chance for the scope of our reality to take on a bit more of the world. Thank you, Sarah. Hi guys, real quick, let's come clean. Everyone but Claire, some of your favorite fictional crushes. I'll start Shadowcat from X-Men Evolution. Woo! Yeah, right, yeah. right? Ellen Ripley. Okay. Benny Cumberbatch is top fiction. We'll see. Our space is too good to be true, Claire. <laughs> uh, I left my sheet. Chris Prattwell, you're next. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. It actually makes a fun transition. Uh, my passion is a little bit more analog, I think. Um, if you asked me to tell you what my favorite books were, I'd probably have a really hard time. Because that's not really how I think about my consumption of print media. Authors, those are the relationships that I have. These people that have populated my life with stories and characters and passions and musings. Douglas Adams and Kurt Vonnegut. Tom Robbins, you know? And it's the discovery of a new author. It's that moment when you get 15 pages into a book and you get all fizzy inside and say, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this person, this person is all in my headspace. <laughs> and then you stop reading and you get on Wikipedia and find out how many books they wrote. <laughs> because you need to know how long this can keep happening. <laughs> I remember when I read the first, the, the first Tom Robbins book I ever wrote, read was Jitterbug Perfume. Yeah. And after I, got, after I got past the, like, the single sexiest several pages ever written about a vegetable, <laughs> I knew, I knew that this was a relationship that was going to evolve and move forward and continue. And there were enough books to keep me going for a while. But about 17 years ago, I stumbled onto, I think, the longest lasting and most important literary relationship I've ever had with an author. About 17 years ago, I was standing in a books a million outside of Chelsea, Alabama. <laughs> because because we, we didn't have easy access to a library, and mom was always great enough to be willing to buy me books. But I had a budget, and books were really expensive, and one at a time wasn't doing it for me. So I was just reading stuff at home, which is awful, like all the books mom had. Like, I read, I've read all of the Cat Who books. I don't know if you know what those are. You shouldn't. <laughs> they're written for, they're like middle-aged woman beach reading. <laughs> about, about, about a man. About, about a novelist who lives in a renovated barn in New England and solves mysteries with the help of his two Siamese cats. <laughs> they're, they're fucking awful. But, but we're at the Books Pavilion and I'm taking around the shelves and I see this long, shelf, this long shelf of colorful spines. And the first thing I think is, oh, well, this person's written a lot of books. 
Excellent. And I pick up the first one. And it's only $7, which is also brilliant, because that means I can buy four of them. So that's right where my mom's going to be like, no, we're not buying you any more books today. And I took it home, and it was The Color of Magic. And Terry Pratchett burst onto the stage of my life and has been the single most constant presence in my literary life since. 50-odd books later, 50-odd books! <laughs> 17 years of always having the next one to go to. And the great thing about Terry Pratchett is he treats his characters with this enormous respect. He loves them. They're real. They're ensouled. They're not stiff archetypes to drape a plot across. They're what makes the books breathe. And they've been my constant companions. Rincewind and Sam Vimes, Havelock Veterinary and Granny Weatherwax. These are the people who populate my dreams. These are the people who I, I love to death, and they're people. They're real to me. The disc is as real to me as the world that I'm in. I spend a lot of my time on a giant disc on the back of four giant elephants <laughs> atop the back of the great Atuin Star Turtle. <laughs> And uh, it's, a brilliant, it's a brilliant world. It's a brilliant world. And, and I discovered that out of complete serendipity. And I think ser serendipitous discovery of an author is one of the single most amazing things that can happen to a human being. When you stumble upon this person who's so brilliant and wise and witty and kind, who can create these books that give you so much, that help you move forward as a person, that help you through hard times, that make you laugh out loud on the train. The kind of books that will make people look across a bus at you and be like, what is he reading? Because I should be, whatever that is. The joy that he's given me over my life. And he is not going to have a whole lot more books. He's fighting a noble, but ultimately a losing battle with Alzheimer's. And even though he's been incredibly prolific, I can't help but feel like there's going to be an enormous void when I finally finish that last book. And I've thought the last two or three were going to be the last ones. And so no matter what the end of the book is, I'm just sitting in a room crying, looking at a book that I, that I don't ever get to read for the first time again, ever, by an author who's meant so much to me, who isn't going to be able to continue to give me this. But I know that when I go to the Harold Washington Library once a week, and meander among the stacks with my plus five library science degree of searching. <laughs> I know. I know that there's nothing stopping me from pulling a book off the shelf, taking it home, having no idea what's going to happen when I open it, and about 20 pages in getting all fizzy and going, ooh. <laughs> and knowing that I get to have this new relationship with this incredible author. I might never get to read another new Terry Pratchett book again, but there is someone out there writing books right now who might be writing books for the next 17 years who will fill this space for me. And that, that new beginning, <laughs> is my personal favorite kind. The kind of serendipitous discovery of a brilliant human being who, who, who gets you and creates things that make you laugh and cry and like being in the world a little bit more. And so to Sir Terry Pratchett, I love you. You've meant so, so much to me. And if you could hang on for two or three more books, I know we'd all really appreciate it. Thank you.
I'm like that a lot with nonfiction, where when I find authors who write the way like I want to, I'm like, I need to have your brain like Chuck Klosterman. I'm uh, I'm rereading Fargo Rock City, which is like top three books of all time for me. Um, he's one of the only celebrities I have a passing resemblance to. Right? That's true. You do. Klosterman <laughs> look alike. Yeah. Good enough for me. What are you doing after the show? Oh. All right, Lauren Rodriguez. I hate change. Some people like it or strive to find change. I hate change. And I learned this when I was six, very old. Uh, when at my birthday party, I threw a tantrum because uh, my cake had six candles instead of five. midlife crisis, um, but it scared the crap out of me because I would never be five again. Um, and in a way, that moment defined me, and it still does. Because when I find change, I bottle it up until I just can't hold it anymore, and I pop out like some sort of demented firework, exactly like the six-year-old self I was. Um, as I grew older, I learned that society wouldn't accept my tantrums anymore, at least not in that format. Um, so I learned a little bit of decorum, and I found that panic attacks in the most convenient bathroom stall was fine. <laughs> um, you know, keeping it classy. Um, even now, as I'm some sort of an adult, I continue to follow this pattern. Um, luckily, I've kind of put a cap on those kind of huge panic attacks. Um, but at this point, I, when I come against something that scares me, that's new, uh, that hurts me, I just don't talk about it and leave it bottled up, uh, which leads me to this week and new beginnings. <laughs> um, my mom is moving out of the house I grew up in. Uh, and I kind of felt really bad about this first world problem until Shelby told her story. Um, I've talked to my friends about this at work. Um, and at rehearsals, and everyone's like, yeah, that kind of happened to me when I was way younger. And I'm 26 and still kind of battling this issue. Um, it's made me not really want to talk about it, because I kind of feel like it's a sad issue to have. Um, and I've just kind of let it bottle up, because I don't want to talk about it. I'm really afraid of losing the space that had so many new beginnings. Um, new steps, new love, new tears. But I guess what scares me the most is that every time I think about it, um, I see myself that same six-year-old self, still crying because she wasn't allowed to be five anymore. Um, and I wonder how I can be brave enough to move forward if I'm always afraid of losing what I left behind. What if I can never grow past that? But either way, here I am, talking about it. Um, and reminded of so many coming-of-age stories that was told in a space that's now our past. Loss of friends, marriages, family members, virginity, all met primarily with fear. The same fear I feel today that I felt when I was six. And maybe it's not the shared fear that makes us weak. Maybe we'd be crazy not to feel this way. Maybe the brave in all of it comes from the ability to move forward 
while paying homage to the past. So that's what I'd like to do today and say goodbye to my home. Can you raise your drink, please? Shelby, can you come here? Okay. <laughs> I have water. Best drink of all. Thank you Someone for... Photograph this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for keeping our family safe, for housing us through laughter and tears, for keeping us upright when we fell, and always keeping our secrets. We'll miss you, but we know that you'll mean the world to the next family. Cheers. 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 We cry. And I would do
by the Chicago Sketch Comedy Troupe, The Nerdalogs, and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The stories you heard have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Special thanks to Sean Patrick Boyle for his help with recording. Our theme song comes from the band Stage Shirt. For more information on The Nerdalogs, your stories, and everything else, go to www.nerdalogs.com. <laughs>